Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Okay, uh, you could open your Bibles to Psalm 145, and then at the end of the service, make sure you give them a hug, you greet them, give them a Pentecostal handshake with money in your hand. All right. We wanted to send Caesar to YWAM, but they didn't have enough Italian food, right? Remember that? I'm always picking on him. Now I see him for the first time because he's not downstairs, so now the fun begins. All right. No, no, you're welcome. You're a handsome young man. It's good looking at you. Well, that's your wife's fault. It's not mine. Okay. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about the goodness of God. Let me get my recording going here. We're going to talk about the goodness of God. Father, we pray that you would just bless this word, help us to understand and receive it and apply it and receive that anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now in the Lord's Prayer, we remember Jesus told us to say, Our Father, and that was pretty impressive because the word Father was not used of God in the Old Testament that often, very few times. You count it on one hand probably. So he made God more personal, and the word Father is more of a, a personal word like Abba means something like poppy or daddy, that kind of thing. So he was bringing God into a place of familiarity, emotional connection, and access. Instead of just God the creator, he was now God our father. And then he said, our father who is in heaven, and he was distinguishing God the father from every earthly father. Because as good as many earthly fathers are, nobody compares to God the Father. So he was showing that we have a heavenly Father who we should praise and we should honor and we should worship. So that is our reference point today, Father's Day. We want to know the goodness of this Father. Some of us don't have a reference point because perhaps we had a dad that wasn't around or maybe some didn't even know him or some... Uh, you know, I had a father who had to work 15, 18 hours a day and very hard to connect because those are the days we lived in 30, 40 years ago. Uh, very hard to get things done and make ends meet. So whatever it is, sometimes we don't have a, a concept of father that may be healthy. So Jesus said he's our father in heaven. And we are going to talk about why he is good, why he is good. Uh, when Moses 
was before the presence of God. We read this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 17 on. And he said to God the Father, he said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. It's interesting how God answered him. God answered him by saying, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And so God equated his goodness with a summation of everything he is. So when we say God is good, it's not just, well, God does good things for us, but it is a summation of his character, of his essence, of his being. It's beautiful, it's delightful, it's joyful. There's an aesthetic beauty to the goodness of God. And we could see that in creation. And so God made his goodness come before Moses to show him and depict to him a, uh, a, a glimpse of his glory. But he wasn't able to show Moses all of it. He had to show Moses part of it because he couldn't see God's face or he would die. He wasn't capable of seeing the fullness of God's essence and glory. So he only saw God's back parts. But it was enough to transform Moses. Amazing. And so Moses said, show me your glory. And what happened was God said, I'm going to show you my goodness. So today what we're going to do is use Psalm 145, starting with verse 7, as our primary text to understand the goodness of God. Psalm 145, and because of time, I'm not reading the first six verses, but they said, David said this, they shall pour forth the fame or the memory of God's abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of his righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and of the and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his works, kind in all his ways. The Lord upholds all those who are falling down and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call upon him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Wow. So Psalm 45 is one of the great psalms in the Bible because it 
talks about the character of God. And there is no more important subject that we ought to know as to God's character and his ways. More than anything else, our faith is based upon that because faith is based upon trust in somebody. And how could you trust somebody you don't know? And so that's why we need to understand who God is and his character and his essence. And in this psalm, in particular, his goodness. The book of Psalms, more than any other book in the Bible, uh, have a condensed uh, study of God and of who God is. That's why I try to read Psalms every day. And it really helps you get to know God and worship God in, the, in spite of our human emotions. And so in Psalm 40, 145, we're going to start this in verse 7. He said, they shall show forth the fame or memory of your abundant goodness and shall single out of your righteousness. And so what we have to understand is in those days there were many nations, all nations outside of Israel, as a matter of fact, that had their own religious system and gods. And so what David was doing is distinguishing between the true God, Hashem, Yahweh, Adonai, Lord, Elohim, there's different words they used to describe the creator God and the distinguishing between him and other gods of the nations. We see that God divided uh, the nations according to the number of gods and gods to the nations in Deuteronomy 32, 8. And they were supposed to be delegated uh, the care of the nations and they wound up going off a deep end. That's another conversation. But what we see here is he is talking about how God's memory is based on his abundant goodness. And so underneath that lies the understanding that he's comparing God to other gods and other nations. And the gods became evil and wicked. They became the principalities and powers that we see in the book of Ephesians that we have to resist. Satan took at least a third of the angels, and led them into deception. And we even have the Greek gods and Roman gods who were very capricious, and they were evil. They, sometimes they would sleep with humans, and sometimes they would kill each other or plot against each other. So these are the kind of gods that the nations worshipped, uh, the deities that they adhered to and trusted. But... David is saying, no, our memory of you is good. You are not like the gods. You are not like the demons and the deities and the gods of the nations. And then he says further on in verse 8, the Lord is gracious. Someone say gracious. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding, I love that, abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't just have a, enough love to uh, put up with us, but it abounds towards us. He has more than enough love to deal with every one of us. So he says the Lord is gracious. The word gracious means that he gives 
and blesses people with more than they deserve. How many know that God has blessed you more than you deserve? God loves us more than we deserve because God is gracious. He's always giving. He doesn't give commensurate to what we earned. He doesn't give commensurate to what we deserve. He gives way more than we ever can earn or deserve. Thank God. So he is gracious. Someone say, the Lord is gracious. gracious. It's important to understand that because out of this graciousness, we see the word goodness. So graciousness is an expression, one expression of his goodness. So the Lord is also merciful. Someone say, the Lord is merciful. In Hebrew, this means a deep compassion. Uh, can be, can be actually be translated the womb or the bowels of a person. The Lord is so emotionally connected to us, it comes from deep within his soul where he has a, a sensitive posture towards us. He's very attentive to us. He's sensitive to us. And he has a deep, deep love and affection for us. Isn't that amazing? That's what the word merciful means. So, uh, it mean it it has been translated the womb bowels compassion sympathy tenderness pity and sensitive love so again he doesn't repay evil to people uh, according to what they deserve he doesn't repay people according to what they earn because his heart is filled with compassion and mercy so he again gives us more than we deserve in terms of his love. Then it says he's slow to anger. The word anger is the word breath. Uh, Not the word spirit, but breath that is equated to the breath that comes out of someone's nostrils. So basically what it's saying is God is slow to be exasperated. You know, when someone gets angry, they start breathing heavily. Their nose almost opens up. And uh, they get an adrenal rush. So what the Bible is saying is God is slow to get to that place where he's breathing heavy, where he's about to unleash his wrath and anger. Thank God for that. So he holds back his wrath and anger until he's exhausted every means possible of reaching the unrepentant. And then it says the Lord is filled with steadfast love, abounding in steadfast love. That means that God is not a man that takes away his love based on his emotions, based on the day we had. That means that God is always fully committed to loving us. Unconditional love. His love never changes. His love is based on the covenant that he made in Christ Jesus. His covenant was not depending upon us. We didn't make a covenant with God. God made a covenant with us. We could not make a covenant with God because we could not hold fast to a covenant with God. He swore by himself when he swore to Abraham. He put Abraham to sleep, walked between the pieces of the animal that he told Abraham to cut up in Genesis 15. And he swore to Abraham, made a covenant, and we're basically 
a recipient of the covenant with Abraham that was fulfilled in the seed of Abraham, Jesus. So God's love is steadfast. Someone say God's love is steadfast. God's love is always present. He's always going to love us. Even if we deny him, he cannot deny himself, the Bible says. If we're not faithful, he remains faithful. Isn't that amazing? How God sustains us by his own love. And even if we are not responding the way we should, even though we may have a bad day, even though we may be depressed, even though we may be down, even though we may be disobedient, even though we may have walked away, even though we may have fallen away, he is still, as the song said, reckless in his love, going after us. Isn't that amazing? That's what it means. He's abounding. He doesn't just have steadfast love. He's abounding in it. His cup overflows. Amazing. And then it says in verse 9, the Lord is good to all. Some would say the Lord is good to all. So the Lord is good to the wicked and the good. The Lord is good to those who know him and those who don't know him. Those who don't know him are the recipients of what's called common grace or creation grace. That is the grace that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 5 where he said to love your enemies and do good to those who despitefully use you and hate you so that you may be like your Father in heaven who does good to the wicked, who causes the sun to come up for the wicked, who causes the rain to come down for the wicked, not just the good. And so he's saying that I want you to be good. The greatest witness that we have as Christians is being good, being excellent, having moral excellence in our life, being kind, being compassionate, being merciful. It's not so much quoting Bible verses. It's not so much being right. Uh, some people think that it's about being right. It's about having right doctrine. Having good doctrine is important. But if you are thinking that having good doctrine makes you good, that's so far from the truth because there's a lot of people who are not acting in mercy, not acting in goodness, not acting in kindness, not acting with mercy, not being gracious, not being compassionate who are putting people down on Facebook because they don't agree with them politically or ideologically or making people feel ashamed. They're shaming people because they may not agree with them. That is not depicting the goodness of God. During the election season, we have alienated probably half of the people in the world from the gospel because we put politics and ideology before being good. You could correct somebody. You could love somebody. You could uh, speak the truth. But the Bible says to speak the truth in love. The prodigal son didn't need more redemption than his older brother. His older brother needed it as much as the one who squandered his money with prostitutes. It was the older brother who wouldn't celebrate. It was the older brother who was jealous. It was the older brother who couldn't access God because he was in his own self-righteousness. It was the older brother who despised those who didn't follow the ways of God. And at the end, it was the prodigal who came in, and we have no record 
of the older brother who was right in doctrine, who never wasted his money with harlots. We have no record of him repenting. So somebody chew on that one. So the Lord is good to all. That means we should love those who hate us, who despitefully use us, so we could be like our Father in heaven. Then he says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. He didn't say everybody is going to bless him. Eventually, they'll know the truth. But the people that he's good to don't always bless him. It doesn't say they will. It says the saints will. But in spite of that, God is good to them. We're not to treat people good just because they're good or because they treat us good. You've got to get this through in your heart, in your mind. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and shall tell of your power. To make known to the children of men your mighty deeds with the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. I love it that all of creation, not just the church, is under the kingdom rule of God. And under that domain, he rules with goodness. Isn't that fantastic? We're not being ruled by a despot. Or a tyrannical person who's self-centered and narcissistic and just wants their own way. We're ruled by a good, merciful, powerful God. And then he says, basically, that his kingdom should be made known to the children and glory splendor of his kingdom, his everlasting kingdom, endorsed throughout all generations. So there... David is talking about how we should pass our faith down to our children. Our children should know of God's abundant goodness. Our children should have parents who recount to them the goodness of God, the prophecies, the answered prayers, the healings, the many things that God has done. It's not just for us, but we need to make sure our children understand this. That's what David is talking about, so that it's a generational kingdom. And because we are the recipients of his kingdom, we are to make sure we pass it along to others, whether they're biological or spiritual children. It talks about his kingdom is everlasting. And why is that? His kingdom is everlasting because God alone is able to sustain himself. He doesn't need anybody else, anything else. He doesn't depend on circumstances. He doesn't depend on his environment. He doesn't depend on nature. He doesn't depend on the weather. He doesn't depend on our love. Thank God for that. He doesn't depend on what the devil does. He doesn't depend on the elements. He doesn't depend on anything around him. It's called, as scholars call it, the aseity of God. God is so uh, self-existent and self-sustaining that his goodness is never threatened. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good news? He will always be good for every generation. His kingdom or his rule or his influence will be extended for all eternity because he never depended on anything to begin with. Nobody elected him God. No one's going to take it away. 
Nobody made him good. Uh, he made himself good. He was always good. And his goodness will always be his goodness because he sustains his goodness by his own essence, which comes out of his character, which is, arises out of his holiness, which is a result of the fact that God is love, uh, God is holy, God is righteous, and his foundation, the foundation of his kingdom is justice and righteousness. Isn't it amazing? So it doesn't depend how we respond. Somebody say, God is good all the time. God is good. That is so true. That's a true truism. That's an axiom. That's a maxim. That is something that is always true. If there's any theology that you should have wrapped up in one sentence, you could just say, I know that God is good. So turn to your neighbor and say, I know God is good. Wow. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. And on Father's Day, we also want to thank the fathers who have been good fathers. We always hear about problem fathers, and there's no perfect father. But we know that God has made people Men of God who have cared for their families, who have acted like God, who have sustained their family, who have persevered in a tough marriage, who have continued on working three jobs, five jobs, continuing in the time of drought, in the time of famine, in the time of COVID, in the time of, of, of challenges and demonic attack. They have continued persevering. There are some men that are mighty men in the earth, that are heroes. It's not celebrities. It's not athletes. It's those mothers and fathers that have raised their kids faithfully in spite of challenges. Those are the real heroes in the world. So let's give the men a clap right now on Father's Day. I don't apologize for being a man. And I'm a masculine man. I don't apologize for that. And there's more I can say, but I'm trying to be saved. So I'm holding back right now because this is on Facebook. That's all I could say. All right. Some examples of his goodness. The Lord and Psalm 145 with examples of his goodness. Verse 14. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Wow. The Lord upholds all those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. My God, he's not a despot. He's not overburdensome and demanding. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I'm meek and lowly in heart and you'll find rest when you follow me. He's not a demanding despot, putting incredible burdens, excessive burdens People may put burdens on you, but God doesn't. 
And, and so he says that he raises up all those who are bowed down, who are falling, upholds them. I thank God that he lifts me up when I'm down, when I'm anxious, when I'm depressed, when I'm afraid. I don't have to be a perfect man to come to him. And when I humble myself, he lifts me up. He's good. Somebody say, he's good. So in God's goodness, what the psalmist is saying, we don't always have to be in the greatest place spiritually, emotionally, physically. He always extends his goodness to us. And the more you know him, the more you'll trust him. The more you trust him, the more you'll be able to exercise faith. Then he says, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Wow. And so he's talking about provision there. He's talking about giving food. Basically, another psalm, Psalm 104 is probably the greatest psalm in the Bible when it shows how God is personal over nature. Those of you who are nature-loving, it's called cosmic personalism. It shows the personal provision of God for lions and birds and giving rivers and water. And it's Psalm 104. It's one of my favorite psalms. So basically, that's what David is talking about here that he provides food in due season. He opens his hand. It's not an evolutionary process. It's not just cycles of seasons. The Bible tells us that not one hair will fall from your head without your father knowing about it. He says that he provides for the sparrows and the birds who don't even work for a living, and he provides for them. He clothes them. They were better dressed and had better garments than Solomon in all his glory, Jesus said. So don't you think that God is going to provide for you? You see, poverty is a curse. It's not from God. Being homeless, not having sheltered, not having enough food, that's not depicting God's goodness. See, part of the way God is good is he provides And we need to break the spirit of poverty over our generations. Of course, that should be coupled with ingenuity, entrepreneurship. At times, it should be coupled with always with hard work, always with paying the price to better ourselves, to educate ourselves, to learn from others, to apprentice other other people who are doing what we want to do. Of course, but that being said, you can do all that and still be broke. God is breaking generational curses. That's part of his goodness. Somebody raise your hands right now. We break generational poverty. We break curses over your generational line. We break it and come against it in the name of Jesus. Because the word of God says that I've come to give you life and a more abundant life. That he opens up his hand and satisfies the desires of every living creature. Father, we receive provision, we receive wisdom, we receive ingenuity, we receive creativity. Even as you said to us to pray, 
Give us this day our daily bread. We're trusting you for our provision, our healing and our provision in Jesus' name. And then he says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind. I'm so glad he's kind to me. Psalm 118, David says to God, this is one of the most profound verses. I don't know the exact verse. One of the most profound verses you should, you should try to study. In Psalm 118, David says, your gentleness has made me great. Imagine God, as powerful as he is, he's not some machismo nut job walking around demonstrating his power, his gentleness, his meekness makes us great. That's controlled power. Meekness doesn't mean you don't have the power to do something. It means that you control it. Wow. And so he's kind, he's righteous, he's near, it says verse 18, to all who call upon him in spite of his holiness and in spite of our imperfection compared to his holiness. He's near to us. Oh, that is awesome. He's near. My God. Some celebrities, you know, they have 15 bodyguards. You can't get near them. They think they're all that, right? God is near to those who call upon him. Even though his fame is greater than any celebrity. Oh, my God. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He is their cry and saves them. Last but not least, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord and let the all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. He preserves. You know why we're still here? It's because he preserves us. The word preserve in the original language means to put a hedge around, to keep, to guard. Like Adam was called to guard the garden. Jesus guards his garden. He watches over. He attends to us. The devil could not touch us unless a hedge was lifted. He's able to keep us from stumbling because he's good. He preserves us because he's good. He guards us because he's good. As Paul said, because God is with us, who can be against us? I dare you, devil, try to come near. Because God is with us. Who can be against us? Isn't that amazing? I remember one time I had this guy, he was all panicky. He said to me, all the witches in the covens are focusing on you in the church. They want to destroy you. There might even be someone from a coven or a warlock attending a church as a plant. 
to try to subvert the church. I said, praise God, I hope they all come to the church. <laughs> Let all the witches and warlocks come. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. My God, I want them born again. I want them saved. I want them filled with the Holy Ghost. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises against me, we will refute because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and our vindication come from him. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. My vindication is from the most high God. He preserves me. He protects me. He surrounds me. He hedges me behind and before. He said in Psalm 139, such knowledge is too lofty for me. It's too wonderful. I can't even conceive. It's inscrutable. I can't conceive even of the thoughts you have for me, O oh God. And because of that, we shall not fear. Somebody said, I shall not fear. He said, when you walk through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you go through the fire, they shall not burn you. They shall not consume you. You'll be like the three Hebrew boys when they were thrown in the furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute, I see another one. And he's like a son of the gods walking in the midst. And they pulled him out, and there was not even the smell of smoke on their clothes. Because God is with us. Because God is preserving us, that's why we're still here. As it says in Jude, to him who's able to keep us from stumbling or falling and to present us before the glorious throne of his presence. To the only wise God, be praise, glory, and honor. How many know God is good? Well, let's all stand and we're going to pray. And if there's somebody here who's been battling with some kind of depression or maybe you have a physical need or maybe you've been battling with faith, uh, maybe you just want prayer for some reason. Maybe you don't want to tell us what it is. Uh, I'm going to ask the leaders right now in the house to just come up here and help us pray. Those who are elders and pastors, I want you to come up and anybody on the prayer team, just come up now. And I want to pray in general, and we're believing God. Don't worry. If you don't want somebody to touch you, then just stand six feet away. But we're going to pray. I'm sick and tired of these. Uh, you know what I mean. I'm sick and tired of all of this stuff. So we're going to pray. You don't have to stay where you are. Come up if you want to come up, and we want to believe God. So let's, uh, let's uh, pray. And you know what? If somebody here doesn't know Jesus Christ. That's the most important prayer. Because for you to experience the fullness of God's goodness, for you to experience the fullness of it, Jesus Christ needs to be your Lord. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, That Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. And if there's somebody here who believes that Jesus died on the cross. If you've never received him in your life. Now's the time. 
paid the price for you in our sin, in our wickedness, in our unrighteousness. He is good. He still loves you. He cares for you. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc.